across the blue line. Leaves it. Kale McCarr winds, fires, score! Al Rubido, top of the near circle, pass far side, wide open net. What a save made by Philip Grubauer. Just outstanding stuff. I am Grub. And Zadorov oh. smash! <laughs> oh my goodness! Yep. What a bone-crushing hit by Nikita Zadorov. And Howard Luck has no idea what day it is, what time zone he's in, and he is slowly making his way towards the bench. Hello and welcome in again to Avalanche Talk, the podcast, the Mile High Sports Podcast, where we talk all things Avalanche. Uh, I am JJ Jerez. With me, as always, is Arif Dean. Arif, how's it going? Good, good. Good to be back. Yeah, it's been a while since we've done our last one. Of course, we had the all-star break and the bye week, which we reaffirmed that we hate. Yeah. But then, uh, you know, we had a little bit of, of time in between those two. You had a little bit of sickness. Yeah, that was a fun week and a half. Plus, the Avs kept playing on Sunday, or at least they did this week, which yep. is our usual record date, so we couldn't record then. Yeah. So, we got a brief one here for you right before the outdoor game. We'll be back Sunday to uh, recap that, too, but we got a couple things that we still got to talk about, like the road trip, what's Absolutely. looking bad, what's looking good. Got to get into Kadri a little bit, and as always, wrap up with the three stars. So, let's just get right to it. I mean, the Avs are buzzing right now, right? They had a pretty solid road trip, aside from that Philly game, which... Again, kind of goes back to why we hate the bye yeah. week. But other than that, everything's looking looking up. I mean, yeah, that's it's reminding me back of that stretch they had in November when they went nine and one and two or whatever it was, something like that, where it just seems like every game they're letting in only one or two goals and their offense is coming through and they're just playing a very, very uh, you know, committed to the to the checking, as Bedner likes to say. They're really committed to the checking. They're not giving up all those chances and all those goals and you know, you never really go into a game thinking they're going to lose. Um, they just sort of cruise through every single game. The Columbus one was a little bit of a scare, but even then, like, you just sort of kind of had this feeling that they were going to come out and play and score a goal. Yeah, 100%. I think that confidence one, like you said, it was a little bit scared just because it was a hard-fought game. I mean, they yeah. really had to dig deep for that one. But I think that was also kind of what is providing them with a little bit of mojo i mean that 6-1 buffalo win that's going to be huge but that's what's expected you go into ottawa win 4-1 again that's great correct expected that columbus one they really had to earn yeah so they they went into columbus when the blue jackets were on a streak where their goalie elvis merzlikens had posted five shutouts in his last eight games which hasn't been done in 16 years in the nhl he's a rookie um we might need to get into that conversation later mm-hmm. on in the season. but uh, And he had gone over 180 minutes without letting in a goal. He shut out the avalanche for the first two periods, and it took a, a cadre shot with seven minutes left, like a great top-shelf wrister from Nazem Kadri to even get one past him, and then an even better Nathan McKinnon one-timer to you know give the avalanche lead, and those both came late in the third. So it was really a very frustrating game where you just thought, we're never going to beat this goalie. Nathan McKinnon and those one-timers are getting so beautiful to watch. I mean, in my opinion, what took him so long to add that to his repertoire? Because he's dangerous with that right now. He used to do it from the circle, and then he sort of, like, went farther and farther. Now he's beyond the circle. He's doing it from nearly the blue line. It's insane, like, the amount of power he puts on that shot. Yeah, and he can rip it with that much power anywhere on the ice. So so that's been pretty awesome to watch. Let's not poo-poo those those big wins against Buffalo and Ottawa because they were that big wins. We've yes. been talking kind of all year long when you're facing these bad teams, you can't just beat them. You got to beat them 
yeah to a pulp and that's exactly what they did i mean six to one and four to one yeah and i mean we went into that last uh last podcast that we recorded where i was talking about how the avalanche had 12 games against these lower teams the san jose's the la's the anaheim's the ottawa's the buffalo's the detroit's and they've played three of those games now they've played ottawa twice they've played buffalo once They've surrendered two goals and scored 13. These are the games you have to win. This is exactly what I was saying when I said out of these 12 games, now that you're a good team, you're not expected, you know, you can't just go 8-4, and 7-5. and five. you got to go 11-1 and one, if not 12-0 and oh in these games. And they've done exactly that, you know. Even Minnesota, you can put them in that category now, not that they're selling off. But even that game, that was an impressive win because it was on the back end of a back-to-back mm-hmm. uh, in two road cities. But... You have to win these games against the Buffaloes and Ottawa's the ways they have. And yesterday was just another one where, you know, coming off of a five-game road trip, it's really easy to sort of mail one in your first game back. And it sort of seemed to be going that way in the first period. Grubauer had to make a few saves. And then, lo and behold, Rantanen scored with 41 seconds left, an exceptional backhander, very Sidney Crosby-like. And after that, the Avalanche just took over, as they should. They're one of the best teams in the leagues, and they're playing the Ottawa's and the Buffaloes. We've talked about strength of schedule. You just kind of brought it up. So, because of that, in my opinion, it still kind of feels like they're still not playing to their fullest potential. They're, yeah. they're winning these games, but there's still bits and pieces of their game that are, are still kind of off, in my opinion. So the fact that they are able to, to win these is great, but I want to see these kind of wins against the Tampa Bays that you have coming up, the Carolinas you have coming up. Washington Maybe, tomorrow. Washington tomorrow, right. Yeah. So while, the, of course, everything's looking great, everything's peachy, I don't want to you know, come and rain on anybody's parade, but I still think there's some tweaks that need to happen. For example, the power play is still struggling. Yeah, so the power play, it's gotten to the point where nobody really has an answer for that. It's just sort of let's just keep doing what we're doing until something hopefully works. And, I mean, don't get me wrong, the second unit did, did come through yesterday. It was at the end of a power play when Nichushkin scored that tap-in from Burakovsky. Um, but the top unit is struggling. I'm not sure what it is. Uh I don't see that same confidence in Makar that I saw from Barry for the last couple of years, and that's not to say that Makar isn't a better player than Barry or could be a better player. It just seems like he doesn't have that same chemistry with McKinnon and Rantanen on the flanks, and uh, they they used to sort of work and support through Barry, and they're not able to do that. And even their cross-ice passes, that one time at Rantanen where he goes down on one knee that we saw in the playoffs and we saw all yeah, that's what I was last couple say, years. That's what we're really missing yeah, is the, the one-timer from Rantanen. Feels like people have sort of found a way to, uh, to to defend against it, um, because nothing lasts forever unless you're Ovechkin taking one timers at the circle. But like, people have found a way to defend against it, and the Avalanche just haven't had an answer for how to change it up to make it work again. Thankfully, though, the Avalanche are the best five on five team in the NHL. Yep. So that you know, with with the bad comes. A lot of good. I mean, yeah. I think I'd rather be great at five on five than For great sure. at the power play. You you can't rely on the power play to win games because especially going into the playoffs, a lot of the games are played at five on five. It's really hard to get power plays in the playoffs. You'll have those odd games where there's a bunch of opportunities, but for the most part, you're playing at even strength and that's where you gotta win your games. Yeah, I'm just hoping that the you know, again, I'm not trying to poo poo anything they've been doing. I just want these wins to come easier. There's a difference between getting into the playoffs and being, you know, a favorite. So I think they need to figure out a way to kind of cross that threshold and, and just be one of the more dominant teams from start to finish. Am I being too pessimistic here? Am I, you know, looking at the at this win streak the wrong way? I don't think you're being too pessimistic. It's, you know, it's you, you want, you know, especially the last four games, you had Buffalo, Ottawa twice, Minnesota, and then obviously that tough game against Columbus, which, you know, one of the hotter teams in the NHL, but... 
you want to be playing your best hockey because now you're going into a stretch where four of your next five games are going to be against, uh, well, three of your next four are going to be against Washington, Tampa Bay, and the Islanders who shut out the Avalanche uh, a couple months ago. So you want to be playing your best hockey because now you're going to go against those good teams where you have to play your best hockey to win games. And Tampa Bay's on a 22-1 and stretch. Yeah. Uh, Washington has been winning and Ovechkin scoring a hat-trick seemingly almost every night. The Islanders are still a, you know, a good defensive team. Uh, they're sort of been hot and cold, but the you know they've had the Avalanche's number for many years, and then you got the outdoor game against LA, which you know based on conditions can go either way. Um, but you sort I don't think you're looking at it uh, the wrong way, but at the same time I think it's it's hard to understand how it's hard to see that all teams kind of go through these kind of stretches. Boston's kind of been going through a little bit of a rep. Boston lost to Detroit the other day. Yeah, and. No. Um, you lost know, me money on that one. Yeah, I've lost a lot of people money on that one, I bet. Uh, you know, Tampa Bay's kind of been really hot. St. Louis has been going through a lull right now. Jordan Bennington's been like an 880 save percentage goalie since New Year's. So all the teams go through this. The Avalanche, they're going through this, but they're still winning their games. And again, this just speaks, you know, to how good this team has become. Um, but at the same time, there is there is that feeling where you know they can give more. Yeah, I guess I kind of underestimated the the Blue Jackets a little bit. Correct. I mean, they are only two points behind the Avalanche in terms of you know standings. But yeah. um, I guess I just no nobody picked Columbus to pick the to win the Stanley Cup at the beginning of the year. No, nobody picked Columbus, but you know they went on that. They've been on this stretch. You know, even right now they lost since the Avalanche game. They've lost two more guys: Seth Jones, who got hurt during the Avalanche mm-hmm. game, and Cam Atkinson. And they're just they're powering through these injuries, and you know they're playing. It's it's as if you know what. I've, you know, what many have thought for about a decade has been true that John Tortorella is the kind of coach where he's got to coach pesky, uh, underrated, underskilled players that work hard. You know, mm-hmm. you can't give him the Sedins and expect them to play the way that they, you know, you got to give him the Callahan's and the Dubinsky's and all these guys on Columbus. And those are the guys that he's successful with. And, um, you know, he's doing that again this year and they're, they're one of the better teams in the league, even though since that Avalanche loss, they've been losing a couple games. They're still two points back of the Avs. They're a top 10 team in the league. They have 30 wins and 57 games. And you better believe if they make the playoffs, they're going to give somebody a lot of trouble like they did with Tampa Bay last year because they're going to play that suffocating defensive hockey. Yeah, you're right. You're right. You know, I can't I can't hold the, the Blue Jackets to too low of a standard because of what you're saying. They are a hardworking team. The yeah. Avalanche tend to get you know, kind of pushed around against those more physical, hardworking teams like that. So the fact that they even came out with a win, I think it is encouraging. And, and that's what's impressive is they were able to win that game and the Minnesota game mm-hmm. the next night going into Minnesota on the back end of a back-to-back. After kind of getting their butts whipped physically. Yeah. You know, so. Yeah. So I, I can't even imagine how many ice packs they had on that road trip <laughs> yeah. back from Minnesota. And then lo and behold, they had one night off and then right back into it against Ottawa. And now they got one night off and right back into it against Washington. One night off and right back into it in an outdoor game. So their schedule doesn't seem to be getting any lighter. Um, but, yeah, winning those kinds of games has actually become very impressive. And Washington is that team, too. Uh, Jared Bednar talked about that today at the, uh, after their optional practice um, recording today, as in Wednesday. Uh, he talked about how Washington's a very physical team and they'll beat you up. And even when the Avalanche went into Washington and, uh, and beat them 5-3 to three back in October... They had a great first period. They scored first four goals or whatever it was. And then after that, Washington just took it to them physically, and I think the game ended 5-3 to three or something like that. 
Yeah, I think typically Washington plays a, a pretty good game yeah. in Colorado too, but we'll look ahead at that later here in the podcast. For now, I just want to stick to kind of what's going well. Uh, we've heard a lot about the, te- the defensive pairings um, haven't been switched up much at all. They nope. really like the consistency that they're providing. I guess, what are you seeing with these defensive pairings that, that Jared Bednar is loving so much? It's the chemistry. They're, you know, these, the, 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 the pairings, the, the, the two players that make up a pairing are relying on their partners very, very well, and the communication just seems to be uh, really, really good right now. And that's what Bednar was speaking about when they were going through their stretch of you know losing those games in, late in the third period. He wanted his team to be better at communicating, and they're doing a great job at that. When you see McCarr pinch, you're seeing Graves jump back. When you're seeing Graves pinch, you're seeing McCarr jump back, and it's been like that on every pair. Zadorov and Cole suddenly are playing great together. Um, well, I mean, they have been all season, but they've, they've been playing really well, and they've been pitching in offensively. Ian Cole here and there, Zadorov here and there, and it just seems like everything's just gelling. EJ and uh, Gerard look good together, and Bednar hasn't messed with his pairings at all because they just seem to have this this chemistry going right now where there, there, there really isn't many defensive lapses. And when you see those turnovers in the defensive zone, it's usually like a Burakovsky throws it in between the hash marks or something like that. It's one of the forwards that are making those mistakes and not the blue liners. Yeah, I had somebody ask me uh, in the last couple of days, from a goaltender's perspective, who is your favorite defenseman on the avalanche? And I had to I had to think about it long and hard mm. just because the group that they have right now and the way they're playing, it's hard to really say anybody yeah. sucks, right? Yeah. I think everybody's playing so well. Obviously, you got to go with a guy like Makar, which was my ultimate answer, yep. just because when the puck's on his stick, He's there's gone. a good chance it's going the it's other It's gone, yeah. Very good chance. Yeah. So, um, you know, I just love what I'm seeing from this entire group. Um, it's good to see Barbario getting some minutes down in color in uh, with the, with the Eagles, um, but you don't expect to see much of him just because, barring any injuries, they love what they've got. And it's it's actually hilarious. I know we'll talk about this later, but every time people keep talking about how the Avalanche might pick up a depth defenseman at the deadline, like an Alec Martinez or whoever, I'm like, who are you going to sit? Mm-hmm. Who can you sit? And I mean, it's nice to have those extra bodies for the playoffs, but are you going to go out and acquire a Stanley Cup winning defenseman like Alec Martinez and? Park his ass and park him, park his butt in the press box and you and can play. Say ass. It's okay. Park his ass in the press <laughs> box and play the same six guys. Like you know, it's it's kind of weird how people keep talking about it. And granted, injuries do happen, but it's like this this six man unit is going really really like they're playing really well right now. Who do you sit if you're right. gonna? pick somebody up at the deadline and last thing you want to do is throw a seventh guy in there and suddenly you throw off all the chemistry that you're Correct. alluding to yeah. is the, the main thing that makes this group yep. so good so yeah i mean five goals in five games is, is all the avalanche have allowed in the last yeah. five games that's that's great a lot has to do with the defense but even more you got a point the goaltending's playing phenomenal right now philip grubauer i mean we were talking about it while he was going through his rough stretch. As is he going to pick it up the same time he did last year? And well, yeah, the answer is yes. And I love how you pointed out. I believe it was yesterday was his thirty third game of the season, where last year he only played thirty two. So this stretch right here is kind of what we've all been waiting for all yeah. season. Can Grubauer handle these next couple months? And so far, so good. Yeah, so far so good. And right now he's in a groove where he wants to play every other night, and the Avalanche schedule allows him to do exactly that. And uh, you know. I, I imagine he's going to start against the Washington Capitals, his former team and all that. I imagine he's going to start against the LA Kings. And then are you going to start Francis against Tampa Bay? Probably not. Probably not. I actually think just because of those brand new pads that Francis got, I think he might be getting, the, so? getting the nod on You know, Saturday. it makes sense, know. but is it, you know, 
it just sort of depends on group hour. Is it one of those things where your starting goalie wants to play that cool outdoor game, or does group hour just not really care? Knowing him, he probably doesn't care. Probably doesn't care, yeah. Because then you have, you know, Washington, Groupie's playing that game. Mm-hmm. Tampa Bay, you know is going to play that yep. game. And then you have the New York Islanders. You got that Varlamov matchup. Are you going to throw Francis in there? Are you going to throw Grubauer in there? And then after that, you have the Anaheim LA back to back. That's when you can start to look at Francis. And then Buffalo, and that's when you can start to look at Francis. And then Carolina Nashville back to back. But if Grubauer plays that outdoor game, he's going to have played the next four games mm-hmm. Washington, LA, Tampa, and the Islanders. And he played against Ottawa. He didn't play against Minnesota, but he played the four games prior. So this is when you're going to start to rely on him and say, hey, this is your crease if you want that playoff goalie spot where we're not going to alternate goalies like Carolina did last year. This is your chance to you know take control and take over, just like he did last year at this time. Yeah, Grubauer is interesting to me. He's he's just very robotic. I mean, yeah. let's, not, let's not say what it's not. And that's why I don't think he would care if he plays that outdoor game or not. But I also think that's huge and has been pivotal into why he's kind of rebounded because – his confidence was never broken. There yeah. was just a little bit about his play. Something was wrong for a little bit. But in his mind, he just, you know, there was there was no lack of confidence because of that kind of robotic mindset that he has. And so I think f- for that reason, he's just going to continue to keep building off what he has. If he has a couple bad games, it's not going to get to him. He's going to bounce back. And I think we should have a fantastic Grubauer the rest of the year. I think the the his form right now, is indicative of what it's going to be the rest of the way, and I like what I'm seeing. Yeah, and I don't know what it is about him. Is he just going to be one of those Jerome McGinley type of guys where just October, November is mail it in every year, and then you get better? <laughs> like, I don't know exactly what it is, but, you know, suddenly the confidence when Grubauer is back there has gone up exponentially, and his stats are starting to show. Just like last year, he was an 890-something goalie for most of the year, and then he slowly built his way up into a 917. And now he's at 912. He was at the low 900s not long ago. So it seems like he's he's getting into that groove. And again, you're going into March. You're playing every other night. There's some back-to-backs mixed in there. You're ending the season against Nashville, Arizona, Winnipeg, and St. Louis. And those could be important games, especially that last one. So he's not going to have much rest. You know, there's a chance he's going to play another 20 games out of the out of the remaining 20, 27 or 28 games left on the schedule. And that's going to bring him to 50-something games on the year, which is way more than he's ever played. But he seems to be up for the challenge. Yeah. And, I mean, we saw it last year. The more workload he has you know he that's what it seemed like yeah that's what it seemed like late in the year when the avalanche needed him to win every game he played the back-to-backs he played every game he went on what was a 13 and one stretch or whatever it was and he had like a 960 save percentage it's crazy yep and it's good to see francois because he actually went a good amount of time between starts came out in that minnesota start and just honestly he was on he was spectacular on point from the get-go he was spectacular especially uh i was a little nervous hoping that he would pick up his game because against detroit he didn't look too good Mm -hmm. um but no he looked great he made a lot of great saves and he kept the avalanche in it was a one goal game at the end and he was he was the main reason why yeah shout out to those new pads too those are (laughs) those are sharp i like us i don't know how i feel about that new logo yet i'm still trying to decide i, like I, I hate it on the helmet i'll be honest those the, the helmet sticker decal that all the players are wearing i think it looks bad there still still trying to decide how i feel about it everywhere I, i've been like back and forth on the jersey on the helmet on the pants on all that on the gloves just that that lighter blue i love it 
but I feel like I'm going to go into that outdoor game on Saturday and I'm going to look and the sun's going to be shining. I'm going to look at the jersey and say, these are beautiful. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, I just think that's what's going to end up happening. Yeah, there's a good chance. And they've been flying off the shelves. I mean, compared to the last outdoor game, I remember that there weren't that many of those jerseys sold. I feel like these have just been flying. Yeah, I don't know why the Avalanche made a white outdoor jersey for a hockey game that was going to be in the bright Colorado sun. So that's a different story. And in a baseball stadium, people are spilling their ketchup and mustard all over it. Oh, jeez, yeah, it was, it was, it was hard. It was, I don't know. I didn't like those jerseys as much, but I'm really glad that they went with the color scheme that we're that the Avalanche are known for is that burgundy and that blue. My opinion, the best color scheme in the league, and those just those colors just look really, really good together. I hear you. I love the color scheme. That's It's got to be one of the best. Um, looking back again, I, I touched on everything I want to. Is there anything you want to point out that kind of attributed to that big win streak there? I mean, road wins are, are you know nothing to just kind of look past. It just seems like every game there was somebody else that that stood up, that that uh, stepped up. Mm-hmm. Uh, you had Burakovsky for a while. You had Nachushkin for a while. Kadri, th- that entire line. You know, it's sad that Kadri's down now because that line was playing so well together. Rantanen has three goals in his past six games, which isn't as many as you know he were used to from Miko Rantanen. He's still operating at a point per game pace this season, but the seven games prior to the All Star break, he had zero goals. He had a big goal yesterday. He scored against Philadelphia. He had another big goal. I believe it was against Buffalo. Uh, Nathan McKinnon has six points during this five-game uh, winning streak. So it just seems like it's not one guy. It's not Nathan McKinnon putting up 13 points in five games. It's Landis Cox pitching in. It's McKinnon's pitching in. It's Rantanen's pitching in. The Kadri line is pitching in. Comfer's had some nice goals. Those shorthanded goals, uh, uh, Belmar had a shorthanded goal. I believe it was against... Um, Whoever they played for Ottawa, Minnesota. Belmar had that opening shorthanded goal that Dubnik led in right under his mm-hmm. armpit. Bad goal. It just seems like every game somebody else has stepped up. Ian Cole pitched in offensively. Gerard, McCarr. Everyone's just playing really well right now. There really isn't someone you can stick out and say that he's not playing good. Right, right. And, you know, we are very, you know, our swings are very dramatic here on this podcast. When things are going great, everything's going great. When things are going bad, everything's going bad. Yeah. But when everyth- everything's going well, that's what we're always saying every time. That stretch of games was great because not every game was the same. Somebody else stepped up different in every game, and that's just obviously the team that we need to see to have a successful team. It's just somebody somebody else kind of carrying the weight every night. Yeah, and uh, I mean, right now there there really isn't much to complain about. Mm-hmm. I mean, when you aside look aside from the power play, I feel like that's aside still- from the power play, yes, that's the big one. Um, but they're just getting it done five on five mm-hmm. where, I mean, obviously you want to be scoring on those power plays like the Columbus game, the entire way through Columbus is winning one, nothing. The avalanche had opportunities. They couldn't score. It kept going. It kept going. And it seemed like the story was going to be Columbus won one to nothing, but the avalanche had five power play opportunities. that should have scored on one of them to tie the game and at least get it to overtime. Mm-hmm. But in the end, they came through five on five, Kadri and McKinnon. But yes, it is the power play. That's probably the only thing. The penalty kill hasn't been too hot lately either. Um, I checked before the Ottawa game, so I don't know where everything is now, but before the Ottawa game, the Avalanche were 20th in both power play and penalty kill. Mm. So it's just the special teams in general. Um, granted, we have seen you know teams in the past win the Stanley Cup with poor power plays like Boston in 2011 and I think LA in one of their years. Um, but but obviously in the end, you want to be good at those just like you are at you know at five on five. I mean the the weapons that they have on that power play. You expect great things every time. It's just it's tough for Avs fans to be disappointed almost every power play. But we already covered the power play. Now yeah, we're just jumping around now. I wanted to get a little bit into Kadri. You brought him up. 
Um, you know, obviously a big loss to the team. Such an awkward fall, too. I mean, yeah. what, what's got to be done to make sure that they don't miss Kadri too much? Well, the trade deadline's coming up, so you know that they're – you know they were probably already planning on picking up a forward, but now that's become a bigger priority. Um, Bednar announced today that Kadri is looking like the four to six week range. It honestly looked a lot like uh, Miko Rantanen's injury. Yeah, it would look like an ankle sprain mm-hmm. and and uh, just caught his edge in the ice and, yeah. and had an awkward bend to it. So I would expect a similar timeline. And that yeah, was, that was what six six weeks I think. Just about yeah. Um, so it, you know before the Ottawa game, Bednar said he's out indefinitely weeks not days and then today they asked him is there much more of a timeline you can give one to three two to four three to four to six whatever and he said we're looking at more of a four to six so Kadri is going to be out for quite a while you know four weeks to six weeks is going to bring you you know right now in the middle of February it's going to bring you to mid to late March which will probably bring you to that home stand to end the season against Nashville Arizona and uh, St. Louis and Winnipeg I almost um, like that idea now that I think about it. Yeah, because like, he's going to come in fresh. Right, and you're, you're going to almost, you know, we, we've we talked about how the upcoming games uh, are a little bit weaker. You make it harder on yourself. You learn how to how to win tougher games, and then suddenly he comes in. He's going to help immensely, and it's everything's going to feel a lot easier, and they're going to be better prepared uh, for that. And, let, and, let's, and let's face it. The games where that are going to beat you down physically are not going to be the better teams. It's not going to be the Tampa Bays or the St. Louis's. Granted, those are big, tough teams like mm-hmm. Washington, but it's going to be the teams that have nothing much to play for. Yeah, Those are usually the games that get out of hand. It's when you play the Detroits, when you play the L.A.'s or the Anaheim's, and they have these bigger, tougher players that are like, hey, I'm playing for my next contract. Our team sucks, so let's go after McKinnon. Let's go after McCarr. Let's go after these guys. And suddenly you have all these ice packs all over you for a game that you won 5-1 to one or 4 to nothing that really didn't mean as much as playing at St. Louis. Mm-hmm. So now to bring in Cad to, to put Kadri on the shelf leading into the playoffs, it's only going to energize him and hopefully not too much and he ends up getting suspended like <laughs> the last couple of years, but it's only going to energize him where when you go into the playoffs or even those last two games against Winnipeg and St. Louis, which both could be very important, he's only, you know, he's going to be firing on all cylinders when you get into that opening round of the first round and hopefully home ice advantage for the Avalanche. Let's count. What is six weeks from now? Let's just say worst case scenario. What do they have going on? So let's say, you know, six weeks from yesterday's game will bring you to. Gotta love when you do these live on the podcast. (laughs) Three, four, five, six. We'll bring you to the last six games of the regular season, the 24th of March. So then you'll have, they'll be in the middle of a road trip against Edmonton and Winnipeg, which I imagine he wouldn't play, which brings you to the last four games of the season, all on home ice, Nashville on the 29th, Arizona the 31st, Winnipeg and St. Louis the 2nd and the 4th of April. Those will be perfect to get his conditioning going, yep. get him right. But basically his regular season is over. Yeah. Aside from Aside you know, from four to seven games, four to ten games if it comes back in four to five weeks. You hate to see it because he was on a, on pace for a career year too, you know? Yeah. I mean, in the end, I think I think this year the Avalanche really just don't care about that stuff. McKinnon is going to put up a career year and nobody else is. I mean, granted, McCarr's a rookie. He's going to put up 50, 60, 70 points. Ranton is not going to touch his career year. He might not even play a point per game. Uh, he might not even finish with a point per game. Same for Landeskog. Uh, Burakovsky is obviously playing great, but... None of these guys care about that. They just want to win. And that's that's been the difference with the Avalanche this year. It's that breath of fresh air where it's like, yeah, they're scoring a lot of goals and a lot of players are putting up points, and they just don't even care about it. 
fingers crossed that the health stays where it's at. I mean, it seems like everybody's... It's been good. Knock on wood. It's been good this season. Yeah. I'm sure there's a couple guys playing through something, but nothing major, and, and everything's been good so far. So we touched on it a little bit. Trade deadline moves that could possibly happen. I mean, there's been a lot of rumors out there. I'll start. My most favorite one, obviously, is the one that came out last week with Kyle Connor. Yeah. Obviously, the asking price for that wouldn't be ideal because it sounds like Bowen Byram would be the other piece going going back to Winnipeg. But I, I just don't see Sackick trading Bowen Byram. I don't see that happening at all. It's you know, it's just like you see in every other big trade when St. Louis was was uh, knocking on the door uh, for Ryan O'Reilly. It was are they going to trade Jordan Cairo? Are they going to trade one of these young guys? Nope, they ended up trading trading Tage Thompson. Mm-hmm. Uh, every single time a team wants the number one prospect, they end up getting the second fiddle, the third fiddle, which you know could still be good players. So when you look at a rumor of a Kyle Connor for a Bowen Byram. And don't get me wrong, Kyle Connor's a great player. He's scoring at a point per game. Mm-hmm. He's already got 28 goals this year. He's going to surpass his 34 career high. He's playing, he's got 50 something points. He's going to hit 70. And he's signed for seven years at 7.14 million so, uh, that he signed that $50 million contract. And we know he's been wanting to get out of Winnipeg forever. And he's only 23. Yeah. Yeah. He's right. only 23. He's only 23. It's so, his third year, I think. In the and, you know, fun fact, Kyle Connor played on the same line as JT Comfort at Michigan. Go blue. They were that great line the year that Michigan made a run uh, to the Frozen Four. Tyler Mott. And Tyler third. Mott was the third one. Yep, correct. Um, go. So, Kyle Connor will be a hell of a pickup. But Bowen Byram just seems like such a big ask that Sackick might want to bring it down a notch and mm-hmm. who's that notch that you can bring it down to it's the guy that nobody wanted to trade even for taylor hall connor timmons but here's the difference when you're trading for taylor hall you're trading for a rental when you're trading for kyle connor he's under contract for seven years at seven million is going to play with mckinnon and kadri and landiscog and ranton and he's going to score a crap load of goals over the next you know half a decade yeah and we're joking ourselves if we don't think winnipeg's well aware of uh T- connor timmons concussion issues yeah so you but know, you know he's if damaged that's, goods exactly but if that's something that you can surpass um, if that's something that you can work past and you can, you know, have, you know, trust in, in his health and, and hopefully that, you know, he does have a long career. Connor Timmons is a hell of a player. He's going to be a good player. The thing is the Avalanche right now have Gerard and McCarr. They have Byram coming through the ranks. Ryan Graves, you got to add him to that list now. And then they got those veterans around him, the Ian Coles and the Sidorov is still young and the EJ. Like it just seems like they're so stacked at defense that as someone like a Connor Timmons five years ago, no way in hell would the Avalanche trade him. They need a player like that. Now, yeah, you can trade him if it means bringing in a player like that. But obviously, it'll take more than a Timmons. If Timmons didn't have his concussion issues, you know for damn sure that he would be the kind of player that can work one for one. But, you know, maybe the Avalanche got to throw in a first-round pick. Maybe they got to throw in an extra prospect. Let's look at the trade that was done just the other day. Minnesota traded Jason Zucker for Kalen Addison, a first-rounder, and Galchenyuk. Galchenyuk was a cap dump. He's out of the picture. First rounder and Kalen Addison. Kalen Addison is a second round draft pick, uh, I believe 2018, maybe 2019, of the Pittsburgh Penguins. He's a defenseman. He's got a lot of potential. He's not quite Connor Timmons level. On the other side, Jason Zucker is not quite Kyle Connor level. Jason Zucker is also under contract for three more years, long term, just like Kyle Connor. So putting together a deal that's centered around Timmons and a first rounder, which just like Pittsburgh's first rounder is going to be in the 20s. For somebody like a Kyle Connor, I think it could work. And then you throw in what Elliot Friedman said today. He heard Kamenev may have been involved. Yeah, that's that reclamation project kid that might need an extra, you know, an, an extra boost and a, a bigger opportunity. 
And if you're going to Winnipeg, who plays Gabriel Bork on a regular basis, you know they have a roster spot for a Kamenev. Mm-hmm. So again, another injury-prone guy, though, more damaged goods. You know, yeah, we're trying to you know dump yeah. off our 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 garbage for uh, a gold penny, but. I guess with along with Byram, I think it's so rare for you to hit such a home run in the draft that you just can't get rid of him. You gotta at least it's, see what he's got. I mean, you can't. Makar, Gerard, and and Byram, you cannot trade him. It doesn't matter who's coming the other way. It doesn't matter who you're talking about. You just can't trade those players. They're guys that you have to you have to build your defense around. You don't want to regret that in the future. And let's face it, you know, a, a Kyle Connor is a great player, but you can, you know. The Avalanche just picked up an Andre Burakovsky for a second and a third rounder. Mm-hmm. And Burakovsky's going to score 60, 70 points this year. He's a great player. I wouldn't say he's as good of a goal scorer as, as, as Connor. But it just goes to show that you can pick up those offensive pieces that put up those kind of points for a lot less than a fourth overall draft pick. You don't want to be in that situation where you traded a Seth Jones for a Ryan Johansson. That was a mistake when they made the move, in my opinion. It's still a mistake now, and it's showing. Yeah, I see a lot of Avs fans just just you know banging the table to get rid of package Timmins and Jost, as if the rest of the league doesn't watch hockey. Yeah, that's know. not that's not going to do much. I think I think Timmins has more value than we're letting we're letting on to believe. Um, I don't think Timmins is that guy where you just throw him into every like you know we've heard every Toronto trade rumor. Oh, let's give him Kapanen and Jeremy Bracco. Yeah. It's like that's not going to give you a uh, Alex Petrangelo no matter how much you want it to. Um, I think Timmins has more value when you get into the Kamenevs and the Jose and these guys. Like yeah, these guys had a lot of potential, but they're they've done absolutely nothing. Nachushkin is outplaying both of them combined. Um, you know, I, I mentioned Kamenev because that's something that Elliot Friedman mentioned in his mm-hmm. in his uh, blog today as 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 part of that rumor that he had heard. Um, but I think Connor Timmins has a lot more value. Do I think Connor Timmins is going to get you a Kyle Connor? Absolutely not. Kyle Connor is a stud. So that being said, uh, while we're on the you know hypothetical train here, what's one of the trades you you've seen, heard rumors about that kind of stand out to you the most as uh, something you'd like to dabble in? You know the Avalanche. You know, reading just just from reading up on on articles from the Pierre LeBruns and Ryan Clarks and all these guys at the Athletic, it seems like they want to add what um, who was I listening to today that mentioned? I think it was it was Pierre LeBrun on his podcast. He said there's a he said I heard a phrase from uh from somebody that I talked to about the Avalanche today that I've never heard before. He said I usually hear top six forwards and bottom six forwards. He said the Avalanche are looking for a top seven ish forward. <laughs> What's the top seven-ish forward? Well, it's your Giannis Donskoy's, your JT Comfers, those guys that you can play in the top six, but more than likely you want them to be the stud on the third line. Mm-hmm. So it looks like the Avalanche might be are, are looking for somebody like that as well as a depth defenseman. If you're going to combine those into two, what I can see happening is Tyler Toffoli and Alec Martinez out of L.A. But again, that would be two rentals. Um, I love that idea, though. Yeah, that would be that would be that would be a heck of a package for the Avalanche. Uh, the guy that I've been banging the drum for, and I, you know, was mentioned it at the podcast last time we recorded as well, is Andreas Athanasiu from Detroit. Speedy guy. He's only got seven goals this year, but he scored thirty last year. You stick him with McKinnon and just watch them skate circles around everybody. He's a goal scorer. He's a game breaker. Um, I feel Super Joe is more likely to do a deal with Rob Blake than anybody over in Detroit. Yeah, you know. Granted, you know, Steve Eisman and him are kind of buddies, but there's, you know, no love lost there. Yeah. Um, 
But there's also a guy in Ottawa that people are talking about now because Nazem Kadri is, is injured. J.G. Pajot. Love that kid. Jean-Gabriel Pajot. He's a, he's a hell of a player, and he could help the Avalanche. And then you want to pick up a defenseman. If you're going to pick up somebody from Ottawa, well, you know, they got the Dylan DeMello available, who's played, who played 24 and a half minutes yesterday. Uh, he's had a great season with them. Chris Tierney's available. Uh, he's another centerman, also picked up from San Jose in that Carlson trade. So there's a lot of options out there. Uh, I think last year the Avalanche need, wanted to do something, and they ended up failing on their plan A, B, and C, and were just like, ah, screw it, let's pick up Derek Broussard. Uh, I feel like that's not going to happen this year. I feel like the Avalanche are going to get who they want. Is it going to be the Chris Criders? Probably not. Um, part, of, part of me, part, sorry to interrupt you, no, but no part worries. of me is so nervous that, you know, the rest of the league has seen Joe Sackick really become nobody the wants to trade ultimate him. winner nobody in wants every to make a single trade, trade. yeah so they're going to be extra stubborn and extra greedy about what they want you know and we we've been saying that for years even back when when chicago was going through their cap troubles it's stop helping the blackhawks stop making these trades with them stop giving them back andrew ladd and stop giving them back brandon Saad. stop doing all these things for them granted the Saad trade was terrible for mm-hmm. panarin but Stop helping the Blackhawks. And I think we're getting to that point where it's like, stop helping the Avalanche. He traded Carl Soderberg for a third round draft pick, and everybody's like, what the heck are you doing? Yeah. And then he went out and acquired Burakovsky for a second and third, and people were like, is that an overpayment? And now Burakovsky's got 41 points in 52 games, and he's the third leading scorer on the Avalanche. Second best forward. Second highest scoring forward. So we need Sneaky Joe, not Super Joe. Exactly. Yep. Sneaky Joe. Thank you. So, like, <laughs> Those are the kind of moves he makes. The Barry for Kadri one, yeah, that was a big blockbuster trade. And obviously he threw Kerfoot in. Everybody's like, why are you throwing Kerfoot in? But it, it turned out to work just fine because he he had the pieces to sort of offset that that Kerfoot, uh, you know, losing Kerfoot from the lineup. And then someday randomly in August, everybody's just out chilling on the beach. And he went out and signed Valerie Nachushkin and look what he's become. So he's, he's really become really good at evaluating talent, him and his team. You know, it's not just him. Um, but I think I think he's going to do something at the deadline that's going to end up working a lot more than a Derek Broussard. It's going to be someone that's going to fit in fit in nicely. Um, do I think they're going to pick up somebody like an Alec Martinez on defense? I don't think so because again, who are you going to mm-hmm. sit? Yeah. It's going to be somebody like a Dylan DeMello. It's going to be somebody where you're okay with sitting them. Um, it's not going to cause as big a stir. But you know, if Ian Cole is banged up or Zadorov's banged up or Eric Johnson is banged up, which he always is when it comes time for the playoffs you can slot them into the lineup and be okay with it. Yeah, I hear you. I mean, there's a lot to be done, and I'm honestly a little bit more intrigued to see who goes more than who stays just be- or who comes in the trade just because that, that tells you a lot about what they've thought about <clears throat> their progress so far. You know, if we see guys like Tyson Jost out the door, everybody's like, yep, we knew it. Everybody hated Tyson Jost, including management. You know, I'm just more interested to see who they send off because I think that's very telling. Yeah, and I mean, other than other than that example or Kamenev who sits in the press box most nights before Kadri's injury, who are you going to take out? Right. You have your top line, McKinnon, Lanscock, granted in. They're not going anywhere. You have your new, you know, quote, second line, the three acquisitions, Donskoy, Burakovsky, Kadri. They're not going anywhere. Then you have that other unit, Belmar, Nieto, Calvert. They're not going anywhere. Maybe a Matt Nieto, but very small chance of that. I happening. doubt there's too many people... Yeah. Knocking down the door for Matt He's Nieto. a pending UFA as well. So you got Belmar, Calvert, Nieto. They're not going anywhere. And then you have that middle line. Jost, not that they're an actual unit, but just on the depth chart. Jost, Comfer, Nichushkin. Which of those two guys are not going anywhere? Yeah. Easy. 
Easy. You're right. I mean, aside from a, maybe somebody in the uh, Eagles, somebody, a guy like Cout, maybe. You know, yeah, there really aren't know. too many movable pieces. That's a, that's a very good point. Greer is falling off, so he's not really movable. So, yeah, I mean, it's it's Tyson Jost. It's Vladislav Kamenev. They're not going to pitch you much, but they'll be good throw-ins. Um, you know, maybe a Connor Timmins. Uh, maybe an Alex Newhook, but I don't think so. Luca Berzan's got a lot of uh, – He's got a lot of trade stock. Um, I learned that these last couple of weeks because everybody's talking about him now. Um, but other than that, it's draft picks. Yeah, and it's all just a bunch of maybes. Maybe, maybe, maybe. Who knows? In the end. But the deadline's 12 days away, and the Avalanche are going to make a move. You know, you can count on that. You can count on Joe Sackick is going to bring in a new body. Um, even if it ends up being somebody like a Derek Broussard last year, someone is going to come into this locker room and is going to be a, a, a trade deadline acquisition. Well, we're excited to see it. Not too much time we have left to wait to uh, see what happens. Yep. Right around the corner. Also right around the corner, right as you know, our last topic before we get out of here is uh, looking ahead at these next two games. First up, we touched on it a little bit. We got the Capitals in town, but that's not really the storyline. Grubauer versus, old te- versus his old team. The storyline is really Alex Ovechkin right now. Yeah, so Alex Ovechkin's at 698. He scored 14 goals in seven games before going two games without a goal. <laughs> what a loser. Um, uh, they switched the game to a 7.30 local start, which is a 9.30 Eastern, so that they can play it as a second of a back of a, of a doubleheader on NBCSN. So it's now a nationally broadcasted, a nationally televised game, and the start time has been pushed back to 7.30, which means 7.50 by the time that first game's over. And uh, there's a whole bunch of national media in town and a whole bunch of national media that I was talking to at practice today and are coming in tomorrow. The Greg Wyshynskis and Nick Kotsanikas, uh, Tom Goletti from NHL.com. These guys are all coming in for two reasons. The Ovechkin story, the stadium series. So it seems like these next three, four days, there's just a big hoopla of media and a lot of focus on the Avalanche. And for good reason. They're a great team, and there's all these storylines around them and the Capitals and Ovechkin and the outdoor game. So it's it's a fun time to be an Avalanche fan. It's a fun time to work in, in, in media around this hockey team. Uh, Thursday, Friday, Saturday is just going to be a lot of fun. Yeah, it's also fun just to see Ovechkin doing his thing right now. Yeah. I mean, it's not that anybody did ex- didn't expect it, but at this level – Eventually, you expect to see him decline, and he's not. So. Yeah, and uh, fun fact about Ovechkin. If you take out Vegas, because they've only been around for a few years, and he's only played a couple games against them, uh, outside of the Stanley Cup final that one year, um, in terms of regular season goals, the least amount of goals that Ovechkin has scored against a team is six, and the team that he scored six against tied at the bottom, Minnesota and Colorado. So he's only scored six goals against the Avalanche. Mm-hmm. Now he's going to go score two more and make it eight and hit that 700 tomorrow. Just because you um, jinxed Just because I jinxed it. But, <laughs> yeah, the Avalanche outside of Vegas are the are the team that he scored the least amount of goals against. And then lastly here, um, you know, we're, we're going to be back Sunday to really recap it and talk a lot about it. For but sure. the outdoor games right around the corner, a lot of hype around that. We already kind of touched on a little bit of that hype with the jerseys and the, and the logo. But I guess 1 to 10, how excited are you for this outdoor game? I'd give it like a 7.5. I'm going to go off the, you know, off the map and add a 0.5 in there. Um, it's not as much of a buzz as that 2016 outdoor game, the Avalanche Red Wing, and bringing back all the alumni and all these cool things. But at the same time, it's a really cool event. It's it's nice to see the NHL keeps giving the Avalanche these events, just like the Blackhawks for so many years. Like, why do you keep getting these outdoor games? It's like, well, they're a great team. So the Avalanche are stepping into that territory where every year it's going to be like, hey, are they going to host a draft? Are they going to host another outdoor game? Are they going to play in an outdoor game somewhere? Um, so it's nice to see that. Also, it just seems like this, this outdoor game was just poorly 
planned and just put into the middle of a schedule of 11 games and 18 nights and every other night. So it just sort of seems like it's going to be a little exhausting, not from a media standpoint, but the players, even for the sure. fans. For sure. Everybody's sort of going to get drained. In the middle of a homestand, you had a home game Tuesday, home game Thursday. Suddenly you got to drive out to the Springs. You're going to get stuck in traffic. You're going to drive back. You're going to have Sunday to rest. Monday they're back at home at the Pepsi Center. It's going to be like, I'm exhausted. Mm-hmm. And so, at the end of the day, it's just a regular season game. And it's a regular season game against a team that's way out of the playoffs and is probably going to trade you a couple guys in like yeah. 10 days. Um, but yeah, you hit everything on the head that, that I'm feeling about this game. Not very excited about it for a couple reasons. First of all, Colorado Springs. I just don't like going down there for any reason. And I think it stems from my youth hockey days. I always yeah. used to hate going down there and playing those bunch of punks. But um, also just the last outdoor game was uh, a 12 out of 10. You yeah. know what I mean? It, it was, was such the a Red great Wings. Experience. It was in Lodo. It was it such was a awesome. fun party downtown. Like the games were just a blast. I don't even care what the result was. Yeah. Even though I remember what they were. Um, yep. it, they're just there's just not as as much hype around it for me as there was in that one. Don't get me wrong. They're doing great. I mean, I've seen the the decoration starting to come yeah. out today, and it, it looks awesome. And I'm I don't sure think we're it's gonna, gonna have be any flying time. cotton at this one. Yeah, no flying cotton, <laughs> fake ice. Um, but it, it's gonna be a cool venue. It's gonna look great on TV. Um, it's going to be a pain in the butt to get in and out of that place. Yeah. And the flyover is going to be cool. But at the end of the day, it's still in Colorado Springs. So not too pumped about it. It's just a regular season game yeah. in my I eyes. I mean, in, in my in my mind, I mean, I'm actually going to be covering it. I'll, I'll be sitting in the press box for that game. And I'm just, you know, I'm excited to just sort of take it all in. Make sure you bring your binoculars because I feel like you're going to need them. Yikes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but I mean like I'm just I'm just excited to take in the whole experience. Friday I'm gonna go up there and cover the practice. There's a media skate, I get to skate on the ice and then Saturday cover the game. It's gonna be an exhausting weekend from a media standpoint, but it's just gonna be fun to take it all in. You can't skate. I'm a terrible skater. <laughs> I have no idea, dude. <laughs> uh, all right, well that's all I have on the docket. Anything you wanna throw out there before we get to the three stars of the week? I think that's it from me as well. All right, three stars of the week brought to you by both of us this time, Arif lended me a hand because I uh, procrastinated on the three oh, stars, hallelujah. but we came to agreement on all three. Star number three, Ryan Graves, simply. He's just playing out of his mind, and he's really starting to get a lot of national attention right now. Yep, they were talking about him on Hockey Central today, Justin Bohr and Anthony Stewart and David Amber and up in Toronto. They were talking about his plus-minus being a plus-41, uh, just play, you know, being a great compliment to Kale McCarr and He's been exactly that. He's got four assists during this five-game uh, winning streak, and uh, he's plus nine over these five games. He's like plus a million on the season now. So he's just been, he's 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 been the steady good defenseman for for someone that's making seven hundred k. You can't get a better value than that. That trade, the Chris Begraw for Ryan Graves trade. I mean, Chris Begraw reminds me a lot of a Tyson Jost, just a defensive version of it. Yeah, right? I mean, that's a good way to put it. Not exactly living up to the hype that you were hoping for. Never lived up to it. Yep. And maybe just a change of scenery is all you need, and who knows what you get back? It might be something great like Ryan Graves. Yeah, so. I mean, you know, very underrated trade made by Joe Sakic at the deadline a couple mm-hmm. years ago. Star number two has got to go to Philip Grubauer. We touched on all the great things he's doing right now, but you got to give it to him for just that rebound. I mean, there was a while people were getting nervous. Is this even the guy? Should we switch to Francois? Well, Philip Grubauer made it perfectly clear who the guy is these last few games. Yep, and he's got, I believe, is it three goals against in his last four games, or it might be the other way around, four goals against his last three games. No, it's three in his last four with mm-hmm. a shutout. Yep. Uh, he's been exceptional, and he just means business. Even when you talk to him, it's just head down, work. And he's got the Capitals tomorrow. Head down, work. 
almost robot-like. Yeah. <laughs> Star number one, I think everybody probably saw this one coming, but we got to give it to Jay Bo Meester. That's scary stuff. I mean, for the NHL to completely postpone and call a game, um, you know, obviously it's it's no joke. They had to use a defibrillator. That's that's scary. And, yeah, you know, they had to make, revive him. Yeah. It makes me worried for all the uh, men's leaguers out there. You know, there's not going to be an NHL training staff, NHL doctors around when that were to happen to somebody else. I mean, obviously he never saw it coming. And it could happen to anybody. I mean, who knows how great their heart really is, especially in a such a, uh, a tasking sport like um, like hockey. It's yeah. tough on you. Tough on yeah. your heart. Uh, St. Louis's media was uh, St. Louis's broadcast posted the last shift that he had, and it was just business as usual, mm-hmm. just a regular shift. And he went off for a line change, just sat down, and then just sort of collapsed on the bench. Um, he he did need to get revived with a def- defibrillator. That was that was confirmed today by the GM by Doug Armstrong. Uh, and I mean, yeah, he seems to be in good spirits. He's still in Irvine, California. He's at the hospital out there. Um, but he was uh, he was FaceTiming with his teammates. His dad was with him because his dad was on the. Was, they were in the middle of their dad's trip, which is a little scary to have your dad Oof. sitting up there yeah. when that happens. But it was also great. Um, uh, their GM Armstrong today was talking about how it was great because for his wife Devin to have the dad there to be able to communicate through the dad what's going on was was very good for for their family from that point of view rather than trying to speak to management or whatever having that family that you can talk to sort of give you updates was really great for them and he's in good spirits they're running a bunch of tests on him and obviously best wishes hopefully this isn't the end of his career and hopefully he's healthy and you know ready to come back. You know, a lot of times I think fans look at these players a lot of times like commodities and just like, oh, don't get hurt because we need uh, our team to do well, right? Yeah. But we, you get something like this really puts things into perspective just how important health really is and, yeah. you know, no rush on any injuries or, you know, make sure everything everything is checked out A-plus before you, you give anything a go. For so. sure. And we were I was talking to media in the press box yesterday, somebody from NHL.com, and he said, you know, exactly, you know, we, we sort of agreed on something. It's that Jay Bomeister is a health freak. He is a gym nut. He's he's in he's in tip top shape. He's an Iron Man. He played nearly 800 games in a row. Um, he's still he's still killing it. He's 36 years old. He just won a Stanley Cup. He still plays over 20 minutes a night. You just you can't plan for these things. Mm-hmm. You just don't know when they're gonna happen. Yep. Best wishes to uh, everybody involved in that. And yeah, everybody just take care of yourself. I guess right. I mean, for sure. Um, you never know what's gonna hit you. So tell everybody you love them. Yeah. So I I guess we'll we'll hear more about Bowmeister in the coming days. Obviously. Uh, the Ducks and the Blues were in the middle of the first period of a 1-1 game. The NHL announced today that they're going to completely replay the whole thing. I believe it's going to be 0-0. It's going to be a 60-minute game. They haven't announced the rescheduling date yet. Obviously, that all plays uh, takes a backseat to Bo Meester's health, but he's in good spirits now. So, uh, Petrangelo spoke to media today as well, and you know they're going to play in Vegas tomorrow, and hopefully, you know the team is is ready to roll again it's gonna be Um, tough yeah it's gonna be hard it's hard to it's hard to come back from something like that but you know hopefully they're they're ready to go even though it's the blues and the avalanche are chasing them um hopefully you know they can get their mind off things and get back to hockey uh but yeah other than that i mean it seemed like you know it was handled the best way it could be the honda center and their staff and the the ducks uh medical team really did a good job of handling the situation and that's exactly what you want to hear Hate to end it on a somber note, but sometimes that's what happens with the first star of the week. For sure. Um, and, you know, just, just to put a little positivity onto it, we'll give an honorable mention to somebody who probably should have gotten the first star but took a backseat to Jay Bomeister. It's Andre Burkowski. Yep. He's got 16 points in his last 12 games. He had four against Buffalo. He had four multi-point games in a row, a 2-2-2 two, 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 and a four split between that all-star break. He's 
He's been on, on fire lately. He's got 41 points in 52 games. He's one back of McCarr for second on the team. He's the second highest scoring forward behind McKinnon. Who saw that coming? Yeah, and he's still got a, a, a high ceiling to go to. We have And now he's playing on the top line with Ranton and McKinnon because Landeskog dropped down to play with comfort. Absolutely. Well, that podcast ran a, quite a bit longer than I expected it to, but that's great. That just means me and you have stuff yeah. to say to, to each other. So uh, oh, trade deadline. let's talk. keep the conversation going Sunday. I hope you guys enjoy this one, and I hope you guys join us for the podcast Sunday while we recap the outdoor game. Uh, other than that, for Arif, I'm JJ. We got you.